0: Our first passage this morning is going to come from Psalm 112. Hear the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. The very word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Our second reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 through 15. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing them with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The very word of our Lord.
2: Mm, Thank you, Jesus. And our um, parable today comes from the Gospel of Luke. I would invite you to turn there on your phones or in your Bibles, the Gospel of Luke, chapter twelve. We're going to pick it up around verse thirteen, but I just really want to come in to you both Psalm one twelve. Um, it's kind of a. It's kind of remember the Proverbs thirty one woman. This is the Psalms one twelve man. Just a just a description of what righteousness looks like, and then again Second Corinthians nine, where we see the impact of generosity on a life. And, and we see the pipeline of God's provisions that come to those who seek to bless others. But our parable today is called the parable of the rich fool. Um, today we will look at the parable in particular, but also at the context around it. And I just, uh, I just encourage you to go back to God's word and drink deep of the richness therein. Beginning in verse 13 of Luke chapter 12, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him and and here he uses a almost almost harsh derogatory term man. He doesn't call him by name, though Jesus certainly knew his name. He he um, he said human. Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he said to all those who were gathered, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And as he often did to help underscore a truth that he just said, one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions, he told them a story, a parable, a story with a purpose, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, now watch watch in this parable for the I's and the me's and the my's, right? Watch for those personal pronouns here. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, didn't see counsel of others, but thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I'm sorry to be so pedantic in this. Look at this. And I will say to my soul probably a danger isn't it when the only person you have to talk to is yourself right i will say to my soul soul you have ample goods laid up for many years relax eat drink and be merry does that sound familiar that phrase eat drink and be merry it's counsel directly out of uh, ecclesiastes without the next phrase which in ecclesiastes says, but remember that God is Lord over all these things, right? He just got the eat, drink, and be merry part. Look at this. But God said to him, fool. And, and please, please don't misunderstand here. We use that word kind of flippantly and we just kind of think of a blessed idiot, right? Or something when we say fool, right? But in, in scripture, fool is a very, very harsh word. God does not use it lightly. Uh, it um, it it means without common sense, without um, uh, how did my mom put it, the brains that God gave a, a mouse, right? Uh, um, it, it's a very harsh term. Fool, God says, this very night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus summarizes. Again, the purpose of his parable. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. And is not rich toward God. The very word of the Lord. Oh, thank you, God. Well, again, a lot of scriptures. And I want to commend them to you. But can I set just for a moment the context of, uh, of this particular parable. I want to re- remind you that. That they did not have mass media and that time. They did not have copy machines. They did not have the Internet. They did not have Facebook. They did not have all the ways that we communicate to mass numbers of people. So everywhere that Jesus went in order for those people to get the full gospel, he had to give the full teaching, right? So we'll see the full teachings of Jesus in several of the gospels, sometimes slightly differently, not because the word of God is not trustworthy or inerrant, but because when Jesus would teach, he would teach to the people that were before him. And, and if you look at the larger context of uh, Luke chapter 12, you see that that the struggle that people are having is that they're spiritual leaders. That's why we take so seriously leadership here at Olivet, the, the, the spiritual leaders uh, of the people that Jesus was teaching were hypocrites. They would say, do this, but they would not live it out in their own life. And again, going all the way back to the Old Testament, um, the, the call of God is to both hear, and remember our parables, and put into practice what you hear. Don't just hear it. Let it go in one ear and out the other, but, but hear it and be, and respond to it. So the context is the hypocrisy of their spiritual leaders. But as a result, the people were left in verse four through seven of Luke chapter 12. They were left fearful. And, and much like the people of our day, they found themselves constantly uh, struggling to overcome their fears and then and then as we've explored before in verses 11 and 12 the second segment of of luke chapter 12 that fear has given way if you're afraid for long enough then that fear gives way your fear no longer has an object and you just find yourself anxious can i get an amen ever been there done that if you live in it long enough it dissociates from the circumstance around you and you just find your feeler stuck and you are anxious and, and, and Jesus says, don't be anxious, right? So fear and anxiety set the table for this, this uh, incident that happens while Jesus is teaching. Let me just say that following this, this parable that we're studying today, then he goes in a familiar teaching to us from the Gospel of Matthew, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, right? Right? Your heavenly father loves you and he will give you those things. And I love Luke 12 because in Luke 12, he says, little, little sheep, he says, the father has given you the kingdom. You know, what more could you need? God has given you the kingdom of God. So don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. But what happens right in the middle of of Jesus teaching here is that someone senses an opportunity. Someone is struggling with um, with the fact that he doesn't think he has enough. When I was um, when I was very little, I can remember my my uh, stately grandmother. um, She she was a boss lady. She she. she controlled every environment around her, uh, whether she knew what she was doing or not. She controlled it. And, uh, and I remember when we were goofing around a little bit too much, uh, <clears throat> her name was Ethel. And, uh, and my grandmother Ethel um, said, enough is enough, right? And, and man, the place just goes silent. Just goes silent, right? Because if Grandma Ethel said enough is enough, enough was enough, right? But if you're a child, if you're four or five or six, enough is never enough, right? And, and if you're, I don't, it's not childlike, but if you're childish as an adult, enough is never enough either. This man, uh, someone in his family had passed away and in an inheritance had been given. And in that culture, the inheritance was given to the, the oldest male and, and it was really entirely up to that oldest male to distribute the inheritance, right? So if that person was a person of good character, they would do it as the, as the, uh, the, the person who gave the inheritance had wanted. They might delay that. Um, this guy's getting frustrated because he senses that money could be coming to him. And it's not happening on his time schedule. And a lot of us, are, our minds are wandering right now because somewhere in the line, you have been in that situation. Either you were an executrix or you were executor of a will, and and it was a pain, and and you said, I'll never do that again, right? I'll never do that again. Um, you've been in a situation on one side or the other. But for this guy, uh, um, enough was not enough. and And so he said, Jesus, I want you to demand that my brother share the inheritance with me as we saw Jesus came across very strongly he didn't even call him by name he said man who made me an arbiter in other words i am not i am not going to participate in the very thing that is strangling you i am not going to contribute to your insatiable desire for more right for more, especially when right before you is the ultimate fount of blessings, and you don't recognize that. So so there was a very clear and present danger in, in the conversation, and everyone's watching and listening to see where it'll go, but especially for this man, there's a very clear and present danger, and that danger is the insatiable desire. For more, right? The fool's question is, How do I get my brother to share more with me? How do I get more? One, this brief parable, I'm going to have to go a little fast today, but in this brief parable are many powerful truths. Let me just pull three of them for you. Let me just pull three of the powerful truths for you. One, all material things belong to God, right? Right? If you miss this point you're going to live in confusion all of your days on this earth if you cannot take it with you when you die it belongs to god and and you are not the owner of those things you are what the scripture calls a steward of those things, and we'll see that in a couple of parables still to come. Your job is to be a good steward of that on God's behalf. We're stewards and not owners of all our possessions because we cannot take them with us, right? Never saw a hearse with a U-Haul, remember that? Never saw a hearse with a U-Haul. So we're stewards and not owners of all our possessions. But here's a second powerful truth here as well. We're responsible to God for what we do with them. We're responsible to God for what we do with them. So here's a man who, uh, who was not content with what he had. The possibility uh, of, of more wealth was there for him. And it resulted, Jesus just identified it, one of the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not covet, it resulted in covetousness. Let me just say, the enemy of contentment is covetousness, right? And by the way, we have more temptations than ever before. Because, uh, well, Christian, we love backpacking, right? And so there's the new latest and greatest, right? There's some new thing. By the way, Kristen came up with um, a technology is so amazing with a, with a water bottle that filtered about five or six times as fast as our existing, our existing thing. And so um, uh, being the mature believer that, that I am and recognizing the place of possessions in, in the economy of God, I, I immediately wanted one of those. <laughs> right? Even has a really cool squishy bag that goes with it. You know, it I, wasn't enough that, that we had one that supplied all of our needs and, and five times as fast. Gotta have one, right? New book comes out, Sarah, right? I gotta have it, right? I um, gotta add it to the library. Because if it's in my library, then I know it all, right? I don't have to read it if it's just on my shelf. Wow, wow. The enemy of contentment is covetousness. Well, oh, where then is the secret to contentment? It went by so fast. Again, I just have to commend it back to you. But this amazingly righteous man in Psalm 112, the reason that he was righteous, the reason that he was content was because he was generous. And I have gotten to walk among some amazingly generous people. Several of them are in the room and I don't want to embarrass them, But but I'm just astounded at at what happens when someone's heart is content then they don't have to hold things. They can freely give uh, those things away and, uh, and, and supply the needs of those around them. I had, a, I had a problem with a piece of equipment yesterday and I just called a friend and said, I know you're good at mechanical things. Can you just take a look at that? And he came and, 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 and took a look at it and said, I don't, I don't see what the problem is, but let me just borrow it for a minute. And he loaded it in the back of his truck. He took, he took my little, um, edger away. And and a half an hour later, he calls and says, can I bring it back? And he just fixed it. He just fixed it. And and I'm in awe of people that can just fix things like that, right? Um, But, but he was generous with his time. He was generous with his talents, right? His abilities. I didn't have that ability, but he was generous with it. He didn't hoard it. He didn't charge for it. He didn't, he didn't, somehow abused that gift, um, he was generous with it. The secret to contentment is generosity. Now here I want to take you one step further from this parable and say, not just generosity to people, but did you see that that last line of the parable? So it is one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There's a generosity toward God that is important here as well. And that's why I commend to you 2 Corinthians 9, and that passage that we read there, I believe that we began around verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Look at this. But he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Do you remember the my's? My, 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 Right. I hear that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. Here's the, here's the deal. As you become pipeline to the blessings of God, a, a, in other words as you continue to empty yourself of the blessings of God, God says He will supply your needs. He will refill. Now what's what's the implication? If you don't if you aren't a, part, a pipeline, if you just hoard it, right? If you just hoard those things, then then you don't become a, a pipeline. You don't become a Sea of Galilee. You become a Dead Sea, right? And little by little, you get saltier and saltier until even the very liquid um, in the lake is undrinkable as a result. So, So how do we... How do we diagnose um, the problem? I was struggling to diagnose the problem with my edger. Several of us have struggled in, in recent times to diagnose medical issues that were going on, right? How do we diagnose uh, this thing? The man demanded that Jesus intervene and do what he wanted. But, but let me just uh, give you a couple of clarifying questions that may help you. Diagnose what's going on, right? First of all, what should I be seeking? What should I be seeking? The man just assumed that it was material wealth, right? But in this chapter, in Luke 12, 31, uh, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God. Some of you are going, wait a second, isn't that Matthew 6, 33? Yes, but he taught it here as well. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness right and all these things will be added to you the man thought he was seeking justice but what he was really seeking was just more more for himself can i press pause just for a second and say this is a struggle that our culture is having big time right now right this passage, this parable is a study of the relationships between material possessions, God, here we go, and justice, right? Some of you recoil even when I say justice because that word has been so abused in our culture. But, but there's a danger in just throwing the word justice around, right? When, when your concept of justice is self- determined, and not governed by something greater than yourself, not governed by the authority of scripture, not governed by the will of God, you are very vulnerable to tokenism at, at best and and to evil at worst. This man believed he was fighting for for a cause right but the problem then as is now is that our causes are often only extensions of our self interests our causes that we get on board somehow help us whether by by making us look better in other people's eyes uh, or or in, in this man's case and actually getting material blessings from them And there's a whole book in the Old Testament dedicated to this. It's the book of Habakkuk, right? It's the book of Habakkuk. In Habakkuk 1.7, describing the coming Chaldeans, that's Babylonians who we've studied extensively, um, God says their justice and their self-worth proceed from themselves that that's a that's an indictment of our culture today that our justice proceeds from ourselves It advances our self-interests i just invite you god is all about justice but he takes no pleasure in fools who are just using the word justice to advance their own causes It gets more complicated. A person who fights for a just cause usually thinks that just because he or she is fighting for it, thereby they are just, right? And everything they do in fighting for that self-created justice becomes right in their own eyes. Please don't misunderstand me. God is all about justice. But we have to go to his word to understand justice. And we have to, we need desperately His Holy Spirit to, to separate our own self-interest and our own identity from the very causes that we adopt. On this occasion, the man had already decided what justice required. Wanted Jesus to enforce his views. How did Jesus respond? He said, "No way, Jose." He he said, "I want I want you to understand the core issue here," and said. So a clarifying question for us is, what should, or maybe whom, should I be seeking? If you're just starting out and following Jesus, seek Jesus. Um, Study Jesus. He will show you. But the second question that's really important here is this question, to whom am I truly accountable? You see, what the man didn't realize was that one day God was going to call him to accountability. Do you catch that? Fool, tonight your soul shall be required of you. And all these machinations, all these things that you've been doing to advance your own cause are not going to benefit you one bit. That's why all of that we're so encouraging of you to put yourself in accountable relationships if you ever hear me saying me my I I you know someone say hey wait a second how did how did Gene Rice used to put it he used to say your eyes are too close together and I'm thinking really you know and what he meant was no your Daves are too close together right they're too close together so um so so who am I putting myself in an accountable relationship? Because one day, God is going to hold you accountable. Until that day, God has given you sisters and women. I just invite you, find a sister who you can be in an accountable relationship with. Men, find a brother whom you can be in an accountable relationship, who will not pull punches, who will ask you hard questions, and who will say, did you do, Dave, what you said you were going to do? And then finally, a clarifying question. Am I being rich toward God? Worship team, come on up if you would. Am I being rich toward God? It begs the question, doesn't it? What does it mean to be rich toward God? Um, Karen is second generation Costa Rican, and they have several wonderful phrases in Costa Rica. Pura vida, pure life. That's how a great one. Another. Wouldn't it be cool just to come up someone say, pure life, brother? pure life, and then encouragement all by itself, right? But another phrase that they have is uh, is this que rico, they say, que rico, and, and, and it means how rich, how rich, right? Oh, we had so many que rico experiences over the last 10 days, you know, such beautiful experiences of God's provision. But how can we turn that around and be rich toward God? I'm going to say something that's so familiar to, to you that you're just going to turn me off. And I'm going to run that risk. But in the context of this parable, I want to say to you again, to be rich toward God means to offer the first and best, the first and best of your time Your treasure and your talents to God. Let me me parse that just one minute here. Your time with God, right? Your time with God. Not doing things for God. Your time with God. Let what you do come out of your time with God. Your treasure to God. The first and the best of your treasure goes to God. We tithe not Not because it's legalism that somehow we earn God's favor, but because it's a gift of God to remind us that all we have and all we are is God's. Your treasure to God and your talents for God. For God. Now I know that this concept of of offering your time and your treasure and your talents to God is, is a little amorphous because... Because you can't see God. That's why I share with you at the very beginning of our service. I'm so grateful. Remember last two weeks ago, the parable? Um, God has a heart for the last and the least and the lost, right? And so if you need a place to start and how to give your time and your treasure and your talents, start with the last, the least. And the lost around you. Let me ask you: Does God, or the last, the least, and the lost, get the first fruits of your time and your treasure and your talents? Or does he get? Does he get the leftovers of your time, and your treasure, and your talents? One final question: It's the question I started with you. In what? Or in whom do you find contentment? Do you find contentment? I want to suggest to you that it is in Christ, and Christ alone, that your soul will be satisfied. We have this privilege of coming today to the table of the Lord. And in just a few moments, we're going to invite you to come down the side aisles and pick up whether you're comfortable with the the prepackaged elements here on the left. Or if you're comfortable with the fresh elements, you're welcome to pick them up and take them back to your seats, even as we worship Christ and Christ alone. But but this little provision, this little morsel of bread and this. This little cup of juice is, is a sacramental down payment on all your physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said to his disciples, "This is my body given for you. Do this." in remembrance of me. Same way after the bread, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, there's a brand new beginning right now, right here, today. Right. No matter what has been, you can renew that covenant today. You got to trust him. You got to do what he says. You got to, Partake of the bread, his body. You've got to drink of the cup, his blood, which cleanses us from all of our sins. And you've got to find your satisfaction in him. Come, would you, beginning with those of you in the back, down the side aisles, come to the table of the Lord. Then make your way back to your seats and hold the elements until all have been served.